Welcome to Art Nature Science on the Binnaburra Cultural Landscape, the podcast that tells the story of the mountain's natural wonder through art making and exploring the creative spirit and celebrates the history and heritage of this magnificent world heritage area. My name's Michelle Walker and I'm joined today by Joachim Froeser. Joachim is an art photographer and educator who lives and works in Brisbane and Berlin. He's looking back at a practice of more than 25 years and his images have been shown in solo and group exhibitions across Australia, Europe, Asia and North America. His work is held in numerous public collections, including the National Gallery of Australia, the National Portrait Gallery of Australia and Queensland Art Gallery and Gallery of Modern Art in Brisbane. He teaches photography at all levels from community groups to university and he is an honorary lecturer at the School of Communication and Arts at the University of Queensland. In 2017, he received his PhD in art. Welcome. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm very excited about it. So tell us about your photography. Well, my practice is going back for 30 years now. So I finished art school in the mid-90s, soon after I arrived from Germany, after my migration to Australia. And over the time, my subject matter has changed a lot and I've covered a lot of ground, I guess. Um, it is purely art photography, which means I make photographs for exhibitions and um, sometimes I sell them. I've got a gallery rep representation in Brisbane with Jane Manton Gallery. And um, that, is the, that is my type of photography. So I'm not doing commercial photography in that sense that I go out and take before other people to their requirements. I mm. can do exactly what I want to do, which is a really privileged round, I guess. Very free. To stand on. So, um, yeah. Um, so over the years, a lot of my work was about personal memory and my family history. But more and more, my interest shifted to the environment and mm. the natural environment of the planet we live in. And yep. um, I'm very interested how we define that. So not just through photography, but also through science and through personal experience. And obviously how photography fits into this, how we use photography in general to describe what's this thing we call nature and how it has been used in the past and in the present and how, it, how I can use it as an artist. Mm. And I know that some of the works that I've seen of yours, and this it may not be comprehensive, but you often look at nature and the environment through living where you do, which is sort of in an urban environment. Tell me how your photography speaks about that aspect. Yes, I mean, for starters, and that was actually one of the main subject matter for my PhD, um, how we look at nature, what how we define nature and how we use photography for that. And I started to really think about this term we use, because when we talk about nature, we most of the time use it in the sense of, you know, untouched landscapes, wilderness, um, or, you know, farming, this, this whole idea of going back to nature. But actually, we often forget that we live in cities where there is lots of nature around. So if I just look out of the window, I see lots of trees and I see birds in the sky and I see weeds and I see, you know, um, trees which have been planted. So there's an awful lot of stuff around us which we tend to overlook. Mm. when we talk about nature and that was one of the things I really got yeah wanted to get my teeth into and um, start to think about. The first image I ever saw of yours which was probably 15 years ago 
was the lemon that was sort of old and decaying with the fly. Now, mm. what's your special name that you've got for that body of work that you called it? That body of work is called ropography, which is an old-fashioned term for still life painting, which was used in the 19th century. And that was really my starting point for that body of work many years ago when I photographed dead insects. Um, I looked at Baroque still lives and um, I was interested back then in to this idea that they are symbolic, but at the same time, real is very real. You know, you see a real object, but it always has got a symbolic part to it. And that's where I was interested for um, back then my master's at the Cretan College of Art. I started to actually take dead insects and they put them on the stage and they played out almost like um, a, um, absurd play you know they became actors on the stage and there was always you know some some more meaning another story behind which you could read into these images that was my starting point back then but um it had also a connection to nature because um mm. baroque still live and it's also called nature mort which is the french term for dead nature so you actually bring the nature out of the environment into the studio and set it up there and it is a very humanly controlled space humans arrange nature to their need and when you think about you know it sometimes was actually quite cruel when you look at all the the game meat which is displayed on the table dead deer and hares and pheasants and whatnot so it it really sort of um i think these baroque lives also speak about how we treat nature, how we actually control nature and form it to our will. Mm. And I always thought of that work sparked for me this idea of the cycles and that you captured an aspect of decay, which is a critical part of nature and what the natural world does in its natural cycles. And I thought that that was really it was both confronting and beautiful in equal measure. It was a really interesting experience that I had of that original work that I saw of yours. I'm glad. <laughs> so you recently ran a workshop at Binnaburra. Tell me a bit about that. That's obviously a different environment from what you, we were just talking about in terms of an urban environment. Binnaburra is a very different environment compared to urban environment we find in the city. And um, I've always been drawn to Binnaburra in that sense that it's one of the most beautiful landscapes you can find, one of the most beautiful natural environments there is on offer. And it's so close to Brisbane. So whenever we had or have um, visitors from overseas, it's one of the first places I think about taking them because it is gobsmacking to them when you just go walk through the forest there and um, see all the stuff which is, you really don't have in Europe. So I've had a long relationship with Binnaburra as a visitor place. And when through the um, Binnaburra Science Art program, I had the opportunity to run a workshop there. It was, you know, um, fantastic. I, I jumped at it and I was really keen to do it. How is it that you think about photography in that environment? Well, that's... Let's start with how I look at the environment. I actually think it is obviously very different to what we find in the city, but it's also a humanly managed space. You know, national parks are very much maintained by rangers who look after it. It's a place of tourism, you know. You have footpaths going through, which they're, they're accessible. It's actually far from this 
idea of wilderness, for example, the first um, white people found in Australia, or very far for that matter, how Aboriginal people, Indigenous people looked at the space. So what we did in the workshop was, first of all, went for a walk and had a look at the space, at what we found. And whenever I do a workshop, one of my major concerns is that I really want to develop the individual voices and the individual viewpoints of the participants. So it, it's not my agenda to force my view onto them. I really want to help participants to develop their own, their own world and their own view. So after the walk, talked about what we found, what we saw. And then we took out the cameras and obviously in a workshop, participants come and the first question always is, you know, how do I make beautiful pictures? How can I turn this environment into beautiful images? And of course, that's what we talk about, but I am actually as much interested that people find a way to describe it beyond the cliches, beyond the, you know, the idea of beautiful landscape. So. We looked at different lenses and how we can use lenses not only to um, make something bring closer or widen the angle, but also how we can use them to squeeze perspective and how we can expand perspective, how we can make things look further apart from each other or condense the whole space. And then photography and your choice of lens, for example, becomes quite a personal choice and, and you respond to your inner feelings and you respond to the way you feel in that space. I know a lot of people who are actually a little bit uncomfortable in rainforest scenarios where everything is, you know, sort of creeping in. You can, you can show that in the photograph and that's really at the core of whatever I do is that I, first of all, want to understand people behind the camera, what they feel and then to translate it into images. Mm. One of the things I've always struggled with in being in rainforest is my eyes have much better ability to see into the depth of the shadows and manage the sort of pockets of bright light that come through. How do you do that from a photography and from an, an art photography point of view for your own practice? Well, you, you play with what you've got for starters. And also I always say, or in, the, in that workshop particularly, I said, well, the bad news is that you really need to have some equipment and you can, I mean, you can obviously go in there with your smartphone and take some pictures, but for certain things you do need tripods and you, you need to come back. You need to, you know, you can't, you stand in the place where you see the beautiful scenario, but the light is on the other side. So you might actually have to you know, come back in the morning, early in the morning when the light is on the, in the perfect spot. So that is experience. And I guess that's also what I do. You know, I just transfer some of my experience and share some of my experiences. So to take good photos in an environment such as the rainforest or Binnaburra, it needs some application. It needs some, some time. You need to come back. You need to maybe spend a little while until the light goes, you know, or improves or changes. So it's a misconception that you can just rock in there and point your camera and come up with a perfect image. Mm, and sometimes it can be good if the sun's stuck behind a cloud and you just don't have that outrageous contrast, isn't it? Like you yes, can just course. wait 10 minutes and it could be yes. a little better before. When I was a little kid and I'm sort of talking about nine or 10, there was a quite famous photographer up at Binnaburra and I was given the job of carrying a few bags and a big <sighs> reflector. 
So this photographer just needed a warm body with arms and legs. And my job was pop out a reflector so the light could just bounce onto that buttress root or that little bit of moss hanging air. And that's one of the things, isn't it? The light can just feel like it gets sucked up by some of those shadows. Yes, that, that is one way to do it. And it is a very, you know, it's a very common way to do it. And especially, you know, how advanced professional photographers work that they actually use these reflectors you mentioned to to balance out the lights and fill the shadows but it is not the only way it's it's, you can actually use really harsh light and and make it a feature and yes then you will have areas in your image which are completely black and yes you will probably have areas which are completely white but again you can use that pathway to take a photo artistically so People always ask me for the manual of photography and, and we talk about it, but, but I think it is really as important to find your own language, your own viewpoints, your own feelings towards the light. There is no right or wrong in that sense. There is only application and working it out and trying things and trying it again and looking at the pictures a few days later and looking what happened what worked what didn't work and what best translated your connection to the place Mm -hmm. i like that process because that's really about seeing and seeing again and being mindful of what you've produced and then being really aware of your choices when you're in there in that space What's the focus of your current practice? My current practice is, again, dealing with the environment and the the idea of the Anthropocene, the idea that we live in a man-altered geological period, that you, you, the idea of the Anthropocene is that in two million years, when some future, or or 200,000 years, when some distant future scientists look back at our time in the sediments, they find clear evidence that it was influenced by humans. So, Mm -hmm. and this is the first time where actually our presence on the planet really changes the crust, changes the the geological uh, substance of our planet. So that's the Anthropocene. And I'm very interested in that idea and I'm very interested in the effect it has on nature. So what I am looking at at the moment is is botany, most and foremost. I I actually grow my own seedlings of garden plants and vegetables but also indigenous plants and weeds a broad variety of of seedlings and i photograph them and um, i also photograph burnt tree stumps mainly in the blue mountains um, around Mm -hmm. the Wollamai national park and which are obviously leftovers of the devastating fires um, we had down there so actually look at the life of a plant from from the very beginnings to the very end and in my case both are heavily humanly induced because i actually grow the seedlings and i would argue that many of the tree stumps burn down because we are changing the climate so yeah. the other thing which i'm really interested in now is the idea that photography isn't just photography we always talk about the thing photography but that's far from the truth i think photography is a an umbrella term for a variety of very different technologies so i'm going back into the 19th century i'm using old processes historic processes from 1839 the salt prints which was um, invented by fox talbot and the cyanotype which was invented by sir john herschel 
both really ancient hand coating type of techniques to make a photographic image on a paper. So, and I combine them with digital processes and I'm going as far as I'm actually now looking at a completely different environment. I'm looking at the environment of the planet Mars in that sense that I actually download a lot of images from the NASA webpage of the surface, which the rovers take up there and I translate them into salt prints. Mm. It's really into so I combined the very latest digital technology and really ancient printing techniques. I love that. And some people who are listening may be familiar with cyanotypes because the the blueprint, as we yes. know it, was actually from that technique, wasn't it? And yes. I know Renata's using cyanotypes in her, some yes. of her work and teaching that. Yes. What about what about a salt print? What would someone imagine they would see if if you were looking at a salt print can you describe it is it a particular thing the way cyanotype is or is it more well i mean i have to say I, let's start with a cyanotype because i actually use the cyanotype in a particular way in that and my cyanotypes aren't blue my cyanotypes yeah okay are pitch black because i tone them i put them in green tea and that makes the blues black so that which goes perfectly with my burnt tree stumps so i actually get a really charcoaly black which is perfectly describing the charred trees and their appearance. The salt print, how to describe a salt print? Um, trick, it's a rather matte, slightly fuzzy, not fuzzy, but, but not perfectly sharp image because it's basically what you do, two minute description of a salt print. The name comes from the first step, how you prepare the paper. You take an ordinary uh, watercolor paper and you float it on a solution of salt a 3% sodium chloride solution, which is table salt. And then you let that paper dry and you end up with a paper that has got a crust of salt on it. And then in the next step, you hand coat it with a layer of silver nitrate and silver nitrate on sodium chloride reacts to silver chloride. And that's how you light sensitive. That's how you prepare a light sensitive paper. And then you have to have a negative, which is the same size as the final print. You place it onto that prepared paper, you put it in the sun or under UV light source, you let it sit there for 20 minutes to three hours and an image forms. Uh, probably the best description would, or best analogy would be an ink drawing on a watercolor paper. Mm. That's fascinating and I think the image that I have in mind of some of the works that I've looked of yours that have been salt prints is that when you say they're slightly fuzzy they're really soft, aren't they? There's something really delicate about them yes. because of that not super sharp focus. And I love that your practice is, is kind of bending the timeframes from Mars, NASA imagery all the way back to the 1800s with hand-coated papers to use to expose, given that they're light sensitive and wrapping all that together. Tell me what you're talking about with that. I, one of the things I'm talking about when I use, when I combine these two processes, digital, which is really digital and analog. When you think about it, digital is repeatable. It's, it's always the same parameter. You can repeat it on a computer. If you have a good printer, the print will always, you know, and you print your negative or, or a, a digital print in general, it will always be exactly the same. 100% repeatable, totally safe and secure in that sense. When you deal with these old processes, there is no consistency. Soil prints in particular are a very organic way to work because they actually do, the, the process needs some organic material like gelatin or even or, or other organic materials in 
the solution on the paper to actually to react. So um, that is a completely different headspace than digital printing, digital photography. I prepare my negatives digitally because I actually come from, even with my seedlings, I come from digital files. And when I print them, they all of a sudden the whole thing shifts and I can't repeat a print. Every print I make will look different. Even there will be different coating marks. A printer will come up in a different hue when it, on, a, on a cold and wet day compared to a hot and dry day. And that I think is, has got a message in itself. When we that, deal with organic yeah. systems and organic materials, we cannot predict what's happening and we cannot feel secure. And to me, that is also an environmental message because, or there is this school of thinking that we just need some more technology and we've got everything under control. We do not have organic processes under control. And when we mess with them, we're in big trouble. And it feels like you're actually representing the biodiversity, that there's not the capacity to just produce like feedlot-like. You're actually doing individual unique uh, species or unique products Absolutely. from your work. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. And again, it harks back to the seedlings I produce, you know, because you put 20 whatever bean seeds in and every seedling looks different. Every seedling has got a character and the same applies to my prints. Every print is different. Every mm. print has got a different character. Mm. So it is a joy and a challenge as well to work with these processes because you have to, at some stage, you have to let go. And I found that a little bit difficult because I'm sort of, you know, um, you could call me whatever, pedantic or um, precise. I just want to precise. Yes, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> um, I want to get things right and I want to get things perfect. And it is almost impossible to get things perfect in that sense that it is exactly the way I wanted it to be. So you, you live with the process and I learned to let go a lot more about my processes working with mm. these analog historic techniques. And embrace the perfection of the imperfect of nature. Yeah, wabi-sabi when, <laughs> when we talk about um, Japan. Yeah. What's next for you in your art practice? Well, I'm actually working like mad towards an exhibition I've got coming up at the new Rockhampton Museum of Art, where I'm showing work in a solo exhibition, which opens on the 19th of August. A lot of my printing happens in the sun, and I'm a little bit under the hammer because, as you know, the last There's not been a lot year, of sunshine. There was not much <laughs> sunshine, so I really run behind. Uh, yeah, so I've got my work cut out. And I'm really, I'm working towards that, which is an, a huge opportunity to be one of the first people to show in that new institution. Yeah, but it has, it's keeping me busy. Well, congratulations on that oh, upcoming show. And hopefully it will still be showing when people, when we go live with this. It's so great to talk to you today and to hear your thoughts about your photography and how that has had a, I guess, the intersection with our beautiful nature and environment up at Binnaburra. Thank you, Joachim. It was all my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. The producers and artists of this podcast acknowledge the traditional owners of the Binnaburra area and Lamington National Park, the Yugambeh Language Group. We also thank Catherine Slingsby for the podcast theme music and excerpt from her piece, Sweet Dream.